Romans chapter 1. Awesome book of Romans. What a privileged people we are to have the scripture like we have it. To be able to come into the house of the Lord, really to be the house of the Lord, but to come into this sanctuary freely without persecution at this point. And to have the whole word of God, not just a part of the word of God with us today. The whole word of God. The whole counsel of God. And I want to preach the whole counsel of God. I don't want to just preach a part of it. I want to preach the whole counsel of God. And the book of Romans is such an awesome, awesome book in the Bible. It is like the book of Revelation in this aspect. That you could pretty much teach every book in the Bible from the book of Romans. So pretty much teach the whole Bible from the book of Romans. That's how awesome it is. Amen. Certain books focus on certain things. Romans, the grace of God, the righteousness of God. But this book is as large as the Bible itself. It is just wonderful. So we're thankful today for the opportunity to have it and to preach it. In Jesus' name. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. If you have that, say, praise the Lord. Lord. Beginning with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle. Not to be an apostle. Called an apostle. Separated unto the gospel of God or the good news of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the gospel in the New Testament is not something new. It was promised in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrews, the Jewish people especially, were very familiar with the gospel. Okay? Verse 3, concerning his son, this gospel, this Holy Scriptures... Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared or decreed to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith, among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, today for your awesome spirit, your anointing, and your word. We pray it go forth today without hindrance, without obstacle, Lord. It would penetrate the lives of your people. We thank you, Jesus, for the great good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we gave you an overview of the whole book of Romans. Last Sunday night, we talked about the Zadik, or the righteous man. We started the first few verses of the book of Romans. We're going to try to look at the introduction here. If you would look at your Bibles, please, with me. Chapter 1, Paul. Say, Paul. Paul. 
Paul means little. He's a servant of Jesus Christ or a bond slave. A bond slave. He is no longer master, mastered by, yet sir, hurrah. Yet sir, hurrah is the evil inclination or the fallen nature. The Bible talks about the fallen nature. It's the evil inclination in man. Okay? It is called the old man. It is called the old age. So it is a system. It's an anti-God system. The old Adam that operates in mankind. Okay? And so now Paul says he's no longer mastered by the old evil inclination or fallen nature of the old Adam or the old system or the old world that is in him. And I say in him. Because the righteousness that the book of Romans talks about or justification simply means right relationship. When you talk about justification, God has justified us or he has made us righteous, which means he has put us in right relationship with himself. Right relationship. So righteousness and justification speak of a relationship that we have with God. But what you must understand, and what I must understand is that it's not a, the righteousness is not imparted, it is imputed. That is very important for you to understand. Because, what, what is the difference? Well, impartation means that you are already made righteous. If that were the case, there would be no evil inclination in you there would be no fallen nature inside of you the old fallen nature in you would be completely eradicated if the righteousness of God has been imparted to you do you understand this <laughs> yeah which gives me a lot of hope see my understanding of this gives me hope the difference is that when you talk about impartation, it means that you are completely righteous. Totally. You have no sin in you, no sin nature, no evil inclination in you. It's completely eradicated. And we know that's not the case because we're always in battle with the flesh. See, we war against the world, the devil, and the flesh. Two of them are on the outside of us, the world and the devil. But there's one that's on the inside of us that's an enemy to God, an enemy to Jesus Christ. It's an enemy to the gospel. And it is the evil nature or the fallen nature, the sin nature that's in us. My greatest battle is not with the devil and not with the world. My greatest battle is with myself. How many would amen that? See, what I need more than anything is not so much deliverance from the world as a whole. You know, I'm not talking about people outside of Christ or whatever. Uh, but what I need more than anything, and not so much deliverance from the devil, because he's not always bothering me. What I need, though, is deliverance from myself. Now, you... You might not want to admit that, but I'm willing to admit that. I, I got a lot of struggles in self and a lot of darkness in self. A lot of problem with myself. 
So the greatest deliverance I need is from that evil inclination. That fallen nature, that sinful nature. That is constantly at war with the new man, Jesus Christ. You with me here? So if, I, if the righteousness of God, righteousness of God, remember God is righteous. He alone is, and we talked about this Sunday night. He alone is righteous. Pure, completely righteous. God himself is called righteous. He alone is without any impurity. There is nothing in God that is impure. There is nothing in God that needs to be perfected. God himself is righteous. He is pure. Totally pure. Okay. You understand that? So if God imparted to me his total complete righteousness. That means there would be absolutely no impurity in me. No defect and no need to be perfected. And that is not the case. So righteousness, when we're talking from a biblical point of view, righteousness is something that is imputed to us, not imparted to us. And it means that God has put it on our account. Even though we're not totally righteous, God has declared us to be totally righteous. That's major. So when God looks at me because he's declared it to my account. How did he do that? How could he declare people who still had a sin nature and darkness in them and an evil inclination in them. How could God look at you and, tell, and say to you, you are totally righteous? How could he declare you to be that way? How could he look at you that way? Because it's based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection for you. So he became sin for you. That you might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. And, when it, and I'm talking about made there, declared righteous. Now, watch this. You have been declared righteous before God in right standing or in right relationship with God right now. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's a fact. He's declared it. Because it's not based on your own goodness. It's not based on your own goodness. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. That's how he can declare you righteous or in a right relationship with God. Because he became sin for you. Now watch this. This is also equally as important. Jesus did not, when he hung on that cross for you, and I'm pointing up here to this chart, right there, this picture. When Jesus hung on the cross for you, he became sin for you. What does that mean? The Bible says he became sin for you. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. He did not become a sinner. Jesus never became a sinner. What happened was, God took your sin and put it on his account. 
that's what it's talking about when he was made sin for us doesn't mean he became a sinner Jesus was perfect without any impurity totally righteous and totally holy and without sin but on the cross when he died on the cross he put the sin on Jesus account which means he took it out of your account put it on Jesus account and took on your account which you did not deserve so the righteousness, there has been an exchange. Some of you look puzzled. Why are you puzzled? Because we're ignorant of the Word of God. We think we have a knowledge, but we have no knowledge. We have an ignorance. We think we understand, but we don't. And that book of Romans is given to us so we'll understand our standing in God and how we got that standing. And that makes me, it frees me. It sets me free to know that on my account today, that the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been declared and put in my account. And that's the way God looks at me. Because my sin was put on Jesus' account and by his death he paid that price. So despite how I feel no, and, and despite my shortcomings and my failures, if I understand my standing, it will set me free to serve him. What an awesome God we serve. It's a free gift. Justification or a right relationship with God is free. You couldn't buy it. You couldn't earn it. You're not good enough. It was a free gift. He justified you. He put you in a right standing, in a right relationship based on the work of somebody else, not yours. That's powerful. If you can ever believe that, and if I can ever believe that, come on. You're saying, well, Pastor, are you having a hard time believing that? Well, you know what? Living for the Lord for over 20 years, but I still don't have a total understanding of my standing. I tell you what I do have. I have a sin consciousness. I, that's right. I told you last week that the church has more guilt in it than any body of people in the world. Because when you were in the world, you didn't have a standard of righteousness to try to live by. But when you came into the church, now you've got a standard. And as a result of that, you're walking in more guilt at times and more condemnation. And a greater sin consciousness. You know what I'm talking about? A, you're conscious of your sin. You're conscious of your failure. You're conscious of your guilt. And that's where we live. We live in a guilt complex. And the reason why is because we don't understand the need to have a righteousness consciousness that I have been declared righteous. We need to have a righteousness consciousness. So God gave the law. Watch this. So that all would stand condemned. So that all would have to approach him by grace. And if you think you could keep the law. Then he gives you the sermon on the mount. And he says if you even think it. Why did he do that? So that all would stand condemned. And all would, would say, I need the mercy and the grace of the Lord. Do you understand this? 
if you understand this, you'll make it in Christianity. You will be victorious because you won't walk in a sin consciousness and a guilt complex and condemnation all the time and looking at what a miserable failure you are all the time because the Lord looks at you totally different. He looks at you as his children, born again children, righteous with God, right standing in a family relationship. And that righteousness produces righteousness. So if you are righteous, you'll live right. And if you're not living right, that means there's something wrong. Because this righteousness produces obedience to the faith. What an awesome God we serve. So when Paul talks about, he says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm no longer under the master of the fallen nature. My fallen sin nature does not dominate or control me anymore. How many of y'all believe that? You can live above the flesh. You can, in fact, the flesh has been killed by Jesus on the cross, that fallen nature. You can live above it by the power of the Spirit of God. He gave you a brand new life. Do you understand? So let me go to Job again. Give you this verse. Does that help anybody here today? Look at your neighbor and say, you know what? I've been declared right. And if God declares me right, who shall lay lay any charge to God's elect? For it is God that justifies. So if God justifies me and made me right, there ain't nobody can lay a charge to me. Do you understand? Job 3, 9. Uh, let me see. Let me get the verse. I wasn't planning on going this, but I just feel led to do this. So just bear with me. Verse 19. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. So that now, Paul is a servant of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a new master. He has been freed from the old master, the evil inclination. When that evil inclination is dead, is killed, then that man is free to serve the Creator. You with me? So when yet, sir, Harad, the evil inclination of the fallen nature is dead, then I can now serve Yotzer, Y-O-T-Z-E-R, my Creator. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I'm no longer under the old man. I'm no longer walking in the old world. I'm no longer walking in the old system. I'm a brand new man with a brand new master. One aspect of the book of Romans that we have never taught before is the the Hebrew understanding of words. And this time we're bringing the Hebrew understanding of words into the book of Romans. Because Paul was a Messianic Jew preaching the gospel to Gentiles. We've never done this before, but we're going to do it this time. Because it's going to open our understanding of the Word of God. So he's no longer under that master. Wave your hand if that master, your fallen nature, no longer dominates and controls you. How many of y'all been set free from the sin and the death and the condemnation and the guilt? If you have been, that means you have a brand new master to serve. 
And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called. And this is his response to the call of the master. He responded to the call. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And the reason is because a lot of people, when they're called, are not responding. Remember this. God comes to every man. And God talks to every man. But every man or woman is not saved. God even talks to demons. But demons aren't saved. So just because you feel God's presence today, just because God is talking to you today, come on, just because God is coming to you and you feel Him and He's talking to you, doesn't mean you're saved because you have to respond to it. You, have, you must respond to the gospel. You have to apply it to your life. You have to walk in it by faith. You have to believe in the truth of it. If you don't then, because you haven't responded to it, you may hear it. But just the hearing of it does nothing for you. You have to hear it and believe it. Respond to it. And apply it to your life to make it valid to you. Do you understand that? Just because you're in the house of the Lord this morning and you're hearing God's word and feeling his presence doesn't mean you're saved. But if you hear it and you feel his presence and you respond to that call, then you can move into the promises that are in that gospel. You must respond. And so Paul said, I have responded to the new master and I've walked out from underneath the old master. This is his response. Paul is saying, I've been elected by God. God has elected me. He has set me apart. He's called me. And I responded to that and say, I'll serve you, Lord. Because he has an understanding of righteousness and his standing in God. He says, I'll serve you, Lord. You with me here? Give God some praise. So I didn't come to church today like most church people all over the world. They come to church to hear the word. They come to church to feel God's presence. I didn't come just to hear the word and feel God's presence. I came to answer and respond to that call. That's what makes the difference between the true and the false believer. Are you with me here? So Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called an apostle. He is an apostle. There's fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Paul said he's an apostle. He's a pioneer, okay? He, this man, the word apostle means to be sent. So he is sent forth to preach this good news, this gospel. He's sent forth to call Gentiles to obedience to the faith. He is sent to preach the mystery of the Messiah. The mystery of Jesus, the mystery of the Messiah to the Gentiles. Do you understand? As an apostle, he has, watch, he represents. He's an ambassador. He's an agent. His service is located 
in the kingdom of God. He represents, he's an ambassador of another kingdom. He represents another kingdom, another king. He speaks for that king, Jesus Christ. The news that he preaches is the good news of Jesus. And the service is located in the kingdom of God. And he is sent out to represent Jesus. Number one, Jesus is the first apostle. Jesus is the first true sent one. Following Jesus, the true apostle, the true sent one, then are the apostles underneath him. Paul being one of them. He is an apostle to the Gentiles, not one of the twelve who originally followed Jesus in his earthly walk. He was converted later after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he became an apostle to who? The Gentiles. So Jesus is the first true apostle. And then there's apostles underneath him that are sent. And they are sent out. Now i got a question for you. Is the sender greater than that, the person that's sent? Or is the person greater, the sent one greater than the person sending? The sender is greater than the one that is sent. So Jesus is greater than, or God is Jesus, God in flesh, is greater than Paul, the one who's being sent. But when Paul goes forth, he representing Jesus, okay? Jesus manifests himself through that man. Do you understand? And he goes forth bearing the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. So is the, the one who is the bearer greater than what is born? Or the one born, the one carried greater than the one that's carrying? Of course, that which is carried is greater than the carrier. Because he's carrying the name. He's bearing the name. And because he's bearing the name, the name is greater than the one that's carrying the name. He's got a commission. As an apostle, he's commissioned by God. With me here? Commissioned by God. Which means he, his, he has to guard this message. Make sure it goes forth in its purest form. He guards it. So which is greater? That which is guarded or the person who guards? That which is guarded is greater than that then who guards it? Do you understand the greatness of this? Do you understand the greatness of Jesus? Do you understand the greatness of the name? Do you understand the greatness of what you are put in charge to guard? Do you understand what you have been commissioned to do? To represent the king and his kingdom and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul. He understood these things. And as an apostle, he, number one, was cleansed himself. With me? Cleansed himself and then given strength to deal with the blows. Because as a representative of the kingdom, you're going to move into an area where there's great conflict and there are blows that are being thrown. So number one, Paul is cleansed and then he is strengthened in the midst of the buffeting. And he's strengthened by God. Cleansed and strengthened. 
And then as a result of that, he goes forth and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. So we are ambassadors of a totally different kingdom from this world. We're guarding it. We're bearing the name of Jesus. Come on. We are, we are blessed people today. So as this great apostle, the Bible says, he was separated unto the gospel of God. Separated. So now he no longer lives a life in evil. Come on. If he separated us to himself, that means I'm no longer walking under the old master. But now I'm walking in righteousness. I'm no longer walking in sin, but I'm walking in righteousness or holiness. I'm no longer walking in darkness, but I'm walking in light. I'm no longer walking in death, but I'm walking in life. That's why there's nothing dead about God's church. And if the pastor's dead, he don't know what he's doing. He hadn't seen a vision and he hasn't been separated. Because there's nothing dead in God's church. The only thing dead in God's church is he kills the flesh. So I don't want to walk in darkness. I don't want to walk in sin. I don't want to walk in death. I don't want to walk in the old age. I want to walk in this new life, this new age, this life of God. This light, the truth. So he says, I'm separated. How many separated people I got out to? Now, you need to understand justification by the blood of Jesus puts you in right standing with the Lord. Sanctification is his work in you justification now this is these are all bible words so don't freak on me justification is he made me right by his blood he declared me righteous sanctification is when i become who i am over a process of time i become that in reality so justification is what he does for me. Sanctification is what he does in me. And set apart or separated is sanctification. So Paul understands his standing in God based on the finished work of the cross. But he also understands the work of sanctification. The ongoing process of God inside of us. To make us who we have already become. So sanctification is his work in me. It's the maturing process. It's when I grow up. All right, I'm. So we're separated unto who? Unto the what? Gospel of God and the gospel. What's the gospel? Good news. In its first first roots and its background number one the gospel was a reward that was given to people who declared good news so the reward that was given was called the gospel so this man goes out whatever good news it is it necessarily doesn't have to be the word of God it could be just good news in general 
he, say this man goes out and say, hey, a baby's been born in this house. And so they celebrate. And he, he brought good news. And then he's given a reward because he brought the good news. See, there's perks that come to people who serve. Never forget that. Yeah, it's a battle, and yeah, there's buffeting, and yes, there's blows. But there are always perks that come to those who are willing to serve him. You understand? So the gospel was a reward given to somebody who declared good news. And the gospel was always, when that good news went forth, it was always joined with a sacrifice. Even before Jesus came and was the sacrifice, good news was joined with a sacrifice and a reward. And then later on, it just simply became known as good news. Are you with me here? So there's a reward in the good news. And what is the good news about? The sacrifice that's been made. Are you here right now? Okay. I know, see, a lot of this is this new terminology. But that's my job, so I'll be glad to do it. <laughs> the gospel of who? God. It's the good news about God. Verse 2. Which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So that all the Old Testament prophets, when they prophesied, they prophesied for the Messiah. Their whole focus and whole purpose of ministry was to prophesy about Jesus. Declare promises about, the, the, about Jesus Christ, the gospel that would come in him. They were caught up as prophets into the chamber, into the council chamber of God himself. And there in that council chamber of God, they received this message before it ever came. Before he ever came. Because the gospel is a person. And the gospel. The good news is Jesus Christ. So before he ever came physically into this world. The prophets were prophesying about it. Promising things to come. Received it from, the, from God himself. From the council chamber of God. And then went out and declared it to the generations that would follow. This is what to look for. This is the good news. He's coming. The Messiah's coming. Jesus is coming. And through him God is going to make men in right standing with him. Put them back in a right relationship with himself. Come on. Reconnect man with God. This is the way God is going to do it. So the prophets prophesied. In fact, some people, and I don't have the ability, but some people believe that in every verse, Jesus is located in every verse. Every verse in the Old Testament, Jesus can be found. But that's beyond my skill and my level of understanding. This whole book, this whole Bible is one book. It's not two books. It's not an old book and a new book. The whole Bible is one book and it's one story and it's one message. The whole Bible is the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the gospel. Do you understand? Let me give you an example. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. He talked about the just shall live by faith. While you turn to Habakkuk 2, I'm going to read Romans 1, 
15, 16, and 17 again. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Where? In the gospel. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the justified, shall live by faith. With me? Habakkuk, the prophet. This prophet prophesied of this faith and justification. Habakkuk chapter 2. Am I going too fast for you? Are you you understanding? You're standing. Okay. If nothing else, you're... You get a clarification on things you believe. Habakkuk 2. Watch this. So this was spoken of in the prophets in the past. So it was seen by them as always existing. And yes, it was prophetic because it hadn't been fulfilled in time. But in eternity, it was already finished. So that before Jesus ever came, it was already done. Right with me? Before he ever came in time, it was done. Now, Habakkuk 2, watch. So the prophets prophesied of it because what? They saw it was real. They entered that dimension and they saw the finished work that was already done before it ever, it was already completed before it ever came to pass in time. It's not plan A, plan B, Old Testament plan A, New Testament plan B. It's not that way. It's one plan. It's plan A. It's always been plan A from Genesis to Revelation. God knew exactly what man was going to do. And I don't have time to get in the decrees of God, but he decreed these things. He decreed to allow man to fall. He didn't decree man to fall, but he decreed to allow man to fall. So he didn't have a plan A and a plan B. He didn't, get, got, he didn't get caught off guard by surprise when man fell. He always had a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. So the whole Bible is the gospel. It's one book. So the prophet Habakkuk is the gospel of Habakkuk. The book of Genesis is the gospel of Genesis. And on and on it goes. But let's look at this. Just as an example of what? Well, it is an example of which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This promise. Say promise. Say promise. Isn't God awesome? He promised it. And he brought it to pass. And he promised it in the Holy Scriptures. Which in your term, in your understanding... That's Old Testament. In the Jewish mind, it's Tanakh. Tanakh. And Tanakh is the Torah, the instruction. First five books of the Bible. The prophets and the writings. The whole, basically, in your mind, the whole Old Testament. So these prophets prophesied, watch, they spoke of it aforetime in where? The Holy Scriptures or the Tanakh. In the Jewish Tanakh, there's only 22 books. We got 39 in our Old Testament. But there's 22 in the Jewish. 
Tanakh. Because we separate 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and we separate a lot of books that they just put together as one book. In fact, all the minor prophets are one book to them. Okay. So 22, 22 Old Testament books in the Tanakh, in the Jewish Bible, and I believe that to be true because there's 22 Hebrew letters, and there's a Hebrew letter that goes with every one of the books. So I'm just, anyway, anyway. So it was spoken of not just in the Torah. These promises were not just given in Torah. They were not just given in the first five books of the Bible. They were given in the prophets and in the writings also. The gospel. In the Holy Scriptures. Okay. So let's go back and look at Habakkuk. Old Testament. We call Old Testament. Jewish people call it Tanakh. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. He didn't say, I'm going to hear what he's going to say. He's going to watch to see. Because when God gave his word, it was like letters just going. They saw it. They didn't just hear him talk. They saw the letters, the Hebrew letters or the Aramaic letters, depending on whatever, what the language was that, the, that was given in. They saw the letters run in front of them. They saw the message. They saw the gospel. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. I will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Because he says when God gets through talking, he starts flashing this, his word in front of my face. He said, I know it's going to correct me. Because see, he knew his attitude was wrong. He knew his spirit was wrong. The Bible goes on, he says in verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. And make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. So he'll take that message of truth and the gospel. And he will be able to understand it and read it. And when he reads it, he's going to run with it. He's going to be an apostle. He's going to... He's going to take the mail of God. He's going to take the mind of God to people. He's going to deliver it. He's going to run with it. With me here? This truth. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Watch this. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. There's that evil inclination. But the just shall live by his faith. So Paul is preaching from Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. Because the prophets saw beforehand the gospel. They saw it. 
in vision form and written form. And then they could run it and declare it to generations in the future. Now watch this. In this particular passage, it is telling you, number one, that the time is going to be long. Number two, it tells you that once it, get, once it does come, it's going to be greater than what was spoken. And Hebrews, now listen to me, Hebrews picks up the same passage in Hebrews 10. And, he, and it's not an it, though it tarry. The Bible says, he will not tarry, he will come. So the it in Habakkuk becomes the he in Hebrews. So the gospel is Jesus Christ. Speaking about him. You understand? And this prophet said, is shown by God that in Hebrews interprets it for us. He is going to tear. It's going to be a long time before he comes. But when he comes. It's not going to deceive Come on. The promise is not deceptive. God hasn't given you a promise and deceived you about that. Which means he gives you a promise and never does it. If he gives you a promise, it might take a long time for it to come. Or he to come. But wait for it, the promise, or he, the promise. Because he will come and not tarry. Come on, amen, amen. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? When God gives us a promise, I know, I know. Sometimes it's, it tarries and we have a problem with that. And that's when we get discouraged. That's when we get down. Because God's given us a promise. And we will, well, maybe God's just deceiving me. Promise me something he's not going to do. But this passage is telling you that though that promise... Terry, wait for it. Because it will not deceive. Which means what God showed the prophets before it ever happened. When he comes, when Jesus does come, it's going to be greater than anything they ever said about him. So I'm telling you, if God has given you a promise, let me bring some practical application. If God has given you a promise, it might tarry and it might take a long time before you see it. But that promise that he's given you, that he showed you, that he's spoken to you, when it does come, it's going to be greater than what you heard or what you thought. But you have to wait. You can't get impatient. You have to wait. You, okay, watch this. Do you understand? Ultimately, what he's saying is this. Israel is fixing to be surrounded by enemy forces. Conquered by enemy forces. Let me read to you. Watch. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Got it? So what he's promising here. If you read this whole passage. Is that whenever these. The enemies of Israel come in to conquer the land. Because of their sin. They are to wait. They are to trust the promise. You with me? They are to believe it and not, and, and understand that the promise is not deceptive. It will come to pass. 
It's in connection with Jesus and the Messiah. And he's telling them that their deliverance comes in the teacher of righteousness. Do you get it? Their deliverance is located in the teacher of righteousness. Or their faith in him. Their faith in the teacher of righteousness. Look at verse 14. After he talks about their defeat by enemy powers. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And as the waters cover the seas. So this message. The just shall live by faith. This message of the messenger of righteousness that will come. This promise in the Old Testament. If they will by faith embrace the teacher of righteousness. It is through that that they will be delivered. And it's through your faith in Jesus Christ. The one who has already come. That brings deliverance to your life. And justifies you by faith. And it's so much greater than what you've heard. He is so much greater than what you've heard. I can't imagine why anybody would, would not want to walk in the kingdom of God. I can't imagine anybody who would not want to be in relationship with this great king. Because anything you've ever heard about him out of this book, it's even going to be even greater than that. Because the promise, he will not deceive you. But your deliverance is only located, not in your good works, but your deliverance is located in the teacher of righteousness. Lord, help us. Romans 1, verse 2, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's all about Jesus. One book, one message, one plan, one gospel from Genesis to Revelation. But we're living in days when He has burst into time and He has already come and He has already brought in the new age. And we're walking in righteousness, right relationship with God now because He has already come. The first time. He's going to come again. Good news. Which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What? Concerning his son Jesus Christ. The volume of the book. It is written of him. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Say our Lord. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You with me here? Which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So, Jesus as a man, He is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the one that's going to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Okay. He's the one the prophets prophesied about. 
Now, the Bible says, according to the flesh, he is of the seed of David. Humanity is the focus here. And declared to be the Son of God with power. So there's his deity. When Jesus comes, he is going to be, according to his humanity, the seed of David. But he is going to be the Son of God with power. That speaks of his deity. So Jesus had a dual nature. In his humanity, in his earthly walk, as a man, he was the seed of David. As a man. But as God. He is, when you talk about Son of God with power, that's his deity. So he was God come in the flesh. Are you with me? Spoken of in the prophets. Foretold in the prophets. Now he has come. Do you understand? He is, this is the, a part of the gospel is God has come in the flesh. That is a part of the gospel. We, some people call it the incarnation. God coming in the flesh. That's good news. God didn't send the second person in anything. He didn't send the second person in a so-called and I'm not even going to use the term because I don't even, it's not even biblical. He is not, he's, Jesus is not second in any way. He's not the second person. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God at the same time because both natures were in him. He's the seed of David according to the flesh, but declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So his deity is seen there. You with me? Now, as son of David, he has got a right to rule and reign on the throne. As the son of David, he is seen as coming and delivering Israel. Saving Israel as the seed of David. Come on. He is seen as the God-man coming to rule and reign over Israel. And saving who? Israel. Son of God, seed of David, David, king of Israel. So Jesus has a right to the throne of David because David was a king and Jesus is the seed of David, that gives him a right to rule and to reign over Israel. He's the king of kings. Not just a king, he is the king of kings. Now, kings in the Old Testament were called sons of God by title. You put me in a teaching mode, so that's where I will be. Sons of God. Kings were called sons of God by title because God adopted them. Okay? All kings were called, son, I'm talking about kings in Israel, were called sons of God. 
And so some people today pick up that passage and say, well, Jesus was the Son of God in the sense that all the kings of Israel were sons of God. Son of God by title. The difference is that Jesus is not just a king and a son of God because he's a king. He is the son of God literally, not by title only. He is literally the son of God. He is literally God come in the flesh. Not just title only here. Do you understand that? Very important. Very important. Now, as a Jewish believer, the Apostle Paul going out and preaching to the Gentiles, he tells, he writes to the church of Rome, he says, Jesus is the, uh, was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That's his humanity. And then the Son of God, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. That's his deity. What I want you to see here without totally boring you is that Jesus in the Hebrew mind and they, they understood the God. I mean, they might not have totally understood it, but they, they knew it was in the Bible. They knew it was in the Old Testament. And in the Jewish mind, when they read the Old Testament prophets, they came to the conclusion there has to be two messiahs. Because they came across one who was the, uh, from the seed of David. And they saw him ruling and reigning, enthroned and defeating his enemies. Delivering Israel and saving Israel. That's the way they saw him. They saw him in majestic glory and power. But then they read in other scriptures in the Old Testament prophets about a Messiah who's suffering. A suffering Messiah. A Messiah that would die. And so instead of understanding that it was one Savior, one Messiah, one Jesus. They came to the conclusion there has to be two Messiahs. One that's the seed of David with power and glory. Ruling and reigning. And then Messiah. Okay, that's Messiah ben David. And then they said there's another Messiah called Messiah ben Joseph. Or Messiah, son of Joseph. And I'm not talking about, you know, Mary and Joseph. I'm talking about Joseph in the Old Testament. The one who suffered in Egypt. You know, you know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, right? So Jesus was seen not just as the son or the seed of David, but he was seen as the seed of Joseph. Or son of Joseph. The suffering Messiah. Now, Paul in Romans preaches both of them. He preaches that Jesus is the son of David, the one who has a right to reign, the one who is in power and glory. And he preaches Jesus, son of Joseph, the one who died, come on, and rose from the dead. Now, let me explain to you. So you've got Messiah ben David reigning powerful glorious and you've got messiah ben joseph suffering humiliated with me in this text let me explain to you the difference okay because both of them are here in romans number one 
as Messiah bin David, the seed of David, right to reign, right to rule, right to sit upon the throne of David, the seed of David, David was a what? He was a king, but what was he also before he became a king? He was a shepherd. So when Paul says that Jesus, according to the flesh, was of the seed of David, he wants you to know he is the king, but he's a shepherd. What I need you to understand is this, is that God, come in the flesh, Jesus, his flesh, according to the seed of David, is just one aspect of, of Jesus, just one. When you say he's the seed of David, you're not saying everything. You're just saying one characteristics of him. Seed of David, Messiah to Israel, Savior of Israel, ruling and reigning over Israel. Okay, you with me? But David is not just the reigning king and the ruling king. He is the shepherd king. He is the shepherd. Say with me, shepherd. So Jesus is called shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. So he walks in the characteristics of the seed of David, not just as the king, but as the shepherd. And the shepherd's focus is maintenance or maintaining. The shepherd's focus is the past. The shepherd's focus is, he's seed of David. So his focus is maintaining and the past. And what he does is he nurtures the sheep. So when Paul uses these terms, we just read over them. We don't really understand the depth of them. But what he's telling you is that he is the, the shepherd. He maintains us. He nurtures us. The, the purpose of the shepherd is... Now you've got to get this because I'm going to show you something in Jeremiah in a minute that you need. As a shepherd, he nurtures you. Which means he feeds you. Okay? The purpose of the shepherd is to feed you, to protect you from the enemy, and to keep the flock together. So as that shepherd nurtures the people, he takes them from one pasture to another pasture to feed them. Right? He protects the sheep from the enemy, and he keeps the sheep together. And then the fourth thing that he does is he shears them and he milks them for his own use. Okay? Milks them. Right? That's his, that's his purpose. That's what he does. That's what he's supposed to do. But again, his focus is what? Maintaining the sheep. That's the purpose of the shepherd. Okay? Hallelujah. And it comes with not just the responsibility of nurturing and protecting. Are you here? But it also comes with the perks, the reward, the milk and the wool. Now, right now, that is primarily, and that's why Paul starts out with calling him the seed of David, this shepherd king. Because primarily right now, that's where the church is. Primarily, that's where we live right now as a church. 
We live in the maintenance realm. Just maintain what you got, you know. And we're living in the past. That's Messiah Ben David. Right? And you need both of them. But remember this. He's not just Messiah Ben David, the shepherd king. He is Messiah Ben Joseph. The suffering one. And Messiah bin Joseph or Messiah bin son of Ephraim. Ephraim is called the fullness of the Gentiles. In Genesis 48 verse 19, I'll read it to you. Ephraim is literally called, I'm talking about a tribe in Israel, is called the fullness of the Gentiles. So that Ephraim or Joseph is a type of the Gentiles. So Jesus is seen as Savior over Israel, son of David. But he's also seen as Messiah ben Joseph or Messiah ben Ephraim, the Savior of the fullness of the Gentiles. And I'll read it to you in just a minute. But just by way of teaching, Ephraim was the younger son of Joseph. So when I say Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah ben Ephraim, same. Because Ephraim was the son of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh. And Manasseh was the older son. The elder son. And Ephraim was the younger son. But that which is first shall be last. And that which is last shall be first. And so daddy put his hand on the what? On the youngest Ephraim and blessed Ephraim. And Joseph said, no, 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 dad. You got it all wrong. Manasseh's the firstborn. Manasseh should receive the blessing. But daddy didn't have it all wrong. The first shall be last. Manasseh shall be last. And the last Ephraim shall be first. So the Gentiles will be first. Israel will be last. Because the Gentiles will come in. And then following... The Gentiles coming in, when the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, God has placed a mystery in his purpose. And the mystery of God concerning Israel is this, is that they would be blind in part until the fullness of the Gentiles would come in or the fullness of Ephraim would come in. Now, what God is doing is he's using the salvation of Ephraim or the salvation of the nations, the Gentiles, to provoke Israel to jealousy so that they will in turn eventually Romans talks about this they in turn will eventually serve their own God and their own Messiah because they've been provoked to jealousy as they look at Ephraim or the Gentiles being saved the last shall be first and the first shall be last and the Gentiles are going to come in come on Followed by the nation of Israel. And it's all in God's plan. It's all in His purpose. It's a mystery in God. How that God would take Ephraim in. And save the Gentiles. And by them provoke Israel to jealousy. And then Israel would come in after the Gentiles. It's a mystery hidden in God. It didn't catch him by surprise. It was prophesied. All the way in the book of Genesis. Genesis 48 verse 19. Before I read that to you in Genesis, and if I forget, just lift your hand. I know what you need, mean. When you talk about this, Jesus, son of David, then he's the ruling, reigning Messiah, shepherd, king over Israel. When you talk about him, Messiah ben Joseph, you're talking about the son of Ephraim. You're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to save the Gentiles. 
and in Ezekiel, I believe it's third, read chapter 36 and 37. Ezekiel, the Bible says, take two sticks, prophet, and write on one stick, Judah or David. Because David, come on, is of the tribe of Judah. So write David on one, or Judah on one stick, and write Ephraim on the other stick, and then join them together. Because those two shall become one in him. And it's a picture of, the, of Ephraim the Gentiles, and Israel being made one in Christ. Messiah been David, and Messiah been Joseph. And Romans teaches both of them to us. Okay, now watch. Let me talk to you a little bit about Messiah ben Joseph. The Savior of the Gentiles. Joseph was not so much a shepherd as he was a farmer. And his focus is not maintenance. Come on. And his focus is not the past. Joseph's focus is transformation because he's a farmer. His focus is taking wasteland, woodlands, and swamplands and transforming them into productive land. And his focus is future, and his focus is the seed, and his focus is transformation. Are you getting the point here? And so now Romans doesn't just call Jesus the son of David. He's called, he's literally, although he's not called literally that in Romans, he is depicted as that. Because Romans 12, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God is looking for production. And God is looking for transformation. So we are moving in transformation. We are not just trying to maintain the status quo. We're not just trying to nurture, protect, shear and milk. We are trying to also move in a transformation. Where the, the focus is the seed. And the focus is farming. And the focus is the harvest. And you have to have both of them. But as we move progressively in time, you're going to see the church change. It will no longer be just maintenance focused. Just take care of the sheep, you know. Just maintaining what you got and living in the past. With time, as you move into the kingdom, it will move, the church will move its focus from one of maintenance in the past to one of transformation and the future. It will, it will begin not just to talk about the maintaining, but bring it in the harvest. And when you get in the kingdom, that's when mankind will be totally transformed. Come on. I'm talking about those that are glorified. Totally transformed, removing, eradicating the old nature. So God in Romans, Jesus in Romans is depicted as son of David, but he is spoken of through different passages as the transformer. Messiah ben Joseph, he's spoken as the one who has died and suffered. Come on. So as a pastor then, my focus has to be maintenance. My focus has to be maintaining you, nurturing you protecting you, shearing you, and milking you. 
but come on also as a pastor a pastor i have to be willing to understand that really to be honest with you jesus reign in the future is more like joseph than it is going to be like david because it's going to be transformation orientated and seed focused and harvest focused and transforming barren land and wasteland and swampland people into productive people in the kingdom of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand your standing. Don't just try to maintain. You know, boy, I just, I hope I can just maintain. You know, how oh boy. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not really trying to go any further. I'm not trying to go forward, but I'm sure not trying to go back. I just want to maintain. Well, when you don't know to stand, stand. That's good. But remember, in the process, you need to move into transformation. You need to let God not just maintain you, but let Him transform you. Because justification and righteousness is a free gift from God that puts you in a right relationship. But it is also, what did I tell you last week? The transforming power of God. So He doesn't just want to save you. Come on. He wants to transform you. He doesn't want to just maintain you. He wants to transform you. Concerning his son Jesus our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, Messiah ben David, Messiah son of David, but Messiah ben Joseph, the one who died, which brings us into the next passage, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the resurrection of holiness. He is God come the flesh. Now let's go to Genesis. I told you I was going to read this verse for you. Genesis 48. Verse 17, Genesis 48, 17. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, son of Joseph. Got it? It displeased him and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim. Ephraim said unto Manasseh said. And Joseph said unto his father, not so my Lord. Okay. Not so, my father. For this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Put your right hand on Manasseh because he's the firstborn. He's first. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> this is God. This is God. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. Come on. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become the fullness of the Gentiles. Or the multitude of nations. So that when I preach Ephraim in the Old Testament prophets. I am justified in declaring to you that they represent the Gentiles. Because they prophesied beforehand yes. the gospel. Amen. The first shall be last. Yes. 
and the last Ephraim shall be first and that's why the Gentiles have come in first and when the fullness of the Gentiles become in then God is going to save Israel hello Ephraim now and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead what? This moves you from just seed of David. This moves you to seed of Joseph. Because in order for him to be resurrected, that means he had to die if he's resurrected from the dead. And Messiah ben Joseph is the suffering Messiah. Messiah ben Joseph is the one who's dead but's going to come alive. He's going to come out of the grave. So the teaching... Both aspects, Messiah ben David and Messiah ben Joseph, are in that passage. Son of God with power. So, listen, this is the good news. The good news is that Jesus is God come in the flesh. He's Messiah ben David. He's Messiah ben Joseph implied here. He's everything the prophets prophesied. He is Jesus, the humble one. Christ exalted. But he's not just Jesus Christ, the humble one exalted. He is Lord. He's God. So the humble one exalted is God himself. Don't miss it. Not the second person in anything. Now watch. The focus is his humanity and also his deity. Declared to be, declared, I don't like to be, decree, declared the Son of God with power. When you talk about the Son of God, He's called the Son of God because the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary. And by that overshadowing, the conception of His humanity took place. It was God in flesh. Emmanuel. With us, God. He, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Humiliation. But he's also going to be Emmanuel. With us, God. Not God with us. With us, God. Us and God together. Reconnected. Rejoined back together. In him. He's God. So again, this passage, the gospel, is right here. He's teaching you. That he's the fulfillment of everything the prophet said. And he's using these little statements. And for us, we're just going, oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. But they are profound. They are profound in their implication. Declared to be the Son of God with power. According to the Spirit of holiness. Or the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. Are you with me here? Amen. Resurrection has always been linked to holiness. Declared to be the Son of God with power. Come on. Amen. What does it say? According to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection. 
And that's something that's not Jew, new to the Jewish people either. See, I wish I had time. I don't really have time to get into all of this. But it talked about they were going to pay tithe to, to, to Aaron, to Levi. When they got in the land, they would bring a tithe to Aaron, place it in the hands of Aaron. And Aaron never saw it. But God said when they got in the land, they would place the tithe in the hand of Aaron. And Aaron died before he ever got to the land. So how could Aaron receive a tithe if he had already been dead? Because God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Aaron would receive the tithe resurrected. And you go through the Bible over and over and over and over and over. And it talks about, and God talks about, you shall live if you keep these you know, promises. You, keep, you obey His word. You shall live. But it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about living in the land. And so many people miss those very important terms in connection with the law of Moses and Israel. The promise of keeping that and living is not salvation. It is in the land living. Go back and read it yourself. He made promises. He made promises to Abraham. That were not going to be fulfilled until the future. But he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which means he's the God of the living and not the God of the dead. Israel is very aware of the Messiah that would die and be risen from the dead. They saw it typically in Enoch, you know, being wrapped, caught up, translated. Melchizedek, without beginning or ending of days. Very familiar with the resurrection. Okay. Praise God. But its connection is with the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. Spirit of God. <laughs> yes. Why? You ever heard been to church, Pentecostal church or church, they say Holy Ghost. And then you go to another church, they say Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're both correct. The reason why we say Holy Ghost though, King James translated that way back he translated that way holy ghost because he wants you to know that the spirit you receive is the same spirit that was in jesus when he walked the earth when he walked the earth he was crucified dead buried risen from the dead and that spirit that was poured out it's called the Holy Ghost. It's the ghost of Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's not another spirit. It's the very same spirit of Jesus. And that's why King James, they translated Holy Ghost. So you would know it's not a different spirit. It's the same spirit of Jesus. It's the spirit of God. He said, so resurrection is connected with the spirit of holiness though. Holiness. Say holiness. Because when you talk about resurrection, you're not just talking about resurrection in the future when the body has come out of the grave. You're talking about entering into resurrection life. And that is renewal. And that's purification. So when you walk in this new life, you walk in a life of purification. You walk in a life of renewal. You walk in a life of regeneration. Come on. Y'all with me still? Do you understand? Declare to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. And I'm going to share some things with you as we get into the book of Romans. 
I've got something I came across yesterday in study that is just absolutely profound. If I had it with me up here right now, I'd share it with you right now. But some of the terminology is a little off, okay? Because they don't have a full understanding. Uh, and I'm to say they, I'm talking about a Jewish scholar, wrote something that was profound. On resurrection in connection with the Holy Spirit. But I gotta, I've got to read, read it and kind of eat it and spit it back out, you know. <laughs> okay. And so I don't really have it, have it there yet. But it is absolutely profound. And it, and it walks along the, the Zedek, the, the Zedek, the Zadik, the righteous man we talked about Sunday night. Just awesome stuff that will bless you and will help you. And it will help you, help you see yourself. Am I, am I there? Am I in the spirit of holiness? Am I walking in the resurrection power of God? See, when you get, when you get righteous as justification, it's going to cause you to walk in holiness. Come on. And holiness is a process. It takes time. Don't, come on, don't get all bent out of shape, you know, because you know what's right, but you are, you're not all the way there yet, and you're not doing everything. Just remember, it's a process. That's sanctification. If you can't come to church because you're missing it on sanctification, come to church because you're walking in justification. I know I haven't got all the way yet. I know I haven't totally arrived yet. I still got some stuff in me. I still got some guilt in me. I still got some darkness in me. But I'm going to the house of the Lord because I'm justified and I'm righteous. I'm declared that way in Him. That's the gospel. Don't ever let the devil tell you, well, you can't go to church because you don't have it together in the area of holiness. But you do have it together in the area of sanctification, justification. I mean, justification and righteousness because He made you that way. He declared you that. Come on. This is the good news. But the devil will use a guilt con. He'll use the law to condemn you, to push you out of his kingdom. Because you don't understand the difference between sanctification and justification. God's awesome. Then you walk guilt free. You walk condemnation free. You don't walk in sin conscious. You walk in righteousness consciousness. Yeah, I know this is boring you, some of you. But I'm sorry. This is I'm not apologizing, but I'm just telling you this: the Word of God, honey. And if this won't do it for you. Then you are without hope. Because he's it. Jesus is it. This message I'm preaching to you today, that's it. If this don't save you, you're not going to get saved. Declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So they, they saw him, Messiah Ben Joseph, suffering, but they saw him. He's going to rise. And if they didn't see it completely, the prophets wrote of it. And Paul saw it. Okay. And we were seeing it. Now, are y'all still awake out there? <laughs> Go to Psalm 2. Let me show you some other things. Psalm 2. 
Praise the Lord. How, how long have I been going? I need a time check here. I'll go all day long. Don't even know. Psalm 2. Watch this. What is this decree he's talking about? Declared to be the Son of God with power. It's the new covenant. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain, a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us. We don't want this king ruling over us. We'll let other things rule over us, but we don't want him ruling over us. We'll let other things rule our life and be king in our life, but we don't want him re- being king in our life. So they're trying to cast his restraint bands asunder. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. And then this psalm here, I'm gonna give you, I told you I was going to give you some Jewish or Hebrew word concepts and understanding and interpretations of, these, of, these, of the book of Romans. Gog of Magog. How in the world they, they came to this understanding, I don't know. But the Jewish people believe that in this passage, Gog was seen standing at the cross killing the Messiah Gog the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal Ezekiel 38 is seen there standing at the cross killing the Messiah and that Gog at at certain times was seen standing behind the palace walls waiting to kill the king waiting to crucify the king and this is in Edersheim's book uh you can find this information, okay? Gog, that future empire the Bible talks about, they'll be destroyed in, the book, in Ezekiel 38. Gog is seen standing at the cross, crucifying the Messiah. Standing behind the walls of the palace, waiting to kill the king. Okay? And the response of God to that, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He's saying, I'm going to destroy those who destroy and those who reject the Messiah, the anointed one. Those who reject him will be destroyed. Now watch this. He said, I'm going to laugh at them. Now here's the point. Whenever... Jesus died. Gog is seen in rebellion. Gog is seen in rebellion against Messiah and in rebellion against God. Come on. Crucifying the Messiah. What this typifies is this. Is that the Messiah will have the sins of the world placed on him. The sins of rebellious Gog, who's a type of the world, would be placed on him. He would die for those sins. Verse 5, Then shall he break unto them his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure, destroy those that destroy, or those the rejecters. He said, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. There it is, right there. He was slain, but risen from the dead, and brings in the new covenant. Taking the sins of rebellious humanity, 
who's typified in Gog of Magog and dies for them on the cross. Come on. And he declares the decree, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And that's his resurrection. With me here? Now watch. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen or the Gentiles for thine inheritance. Because you died on that cross, and because you rose from the dead, and you took the sin of the heathen. Now when you rise from the dead, ask of me, Messiah, ask of me, the Spirit, God. Ask of me, and I will give you the Gentiles as thine inheritance. I'll give you the fullness of the nations. I'll give you Ephraim as a result of your death, burial, and resurrection. I'll declare the decree. I'll break the new covenant. You with me? I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Come on. Son of David. Son of David. And then, come on, Messiah. Go, well, let's see. I know you're getting, I, I know I'm running out of time. I, I can tell. I can tell. So in one sense, he asked for the heathen as an inheritance. And then in connection with his death, he asked for life. I'll get that verse for you. But he asked for life in one connection, and he asked for the heathen in another connection. He asked for life as Messiah ben Joseph. He asked for the heathen as Messiah ben David. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? Okay. Good enough. Good enough. Y'all are good. Y'all are a good crowd. You're a good crowd. Okay, let's go back to Romans. I'm coming to a close. I see you have finished, so I'm, I'm about to. <laughs> you have. Watch this. By whom we have received grace. That's the favor of God. The greatness of His favor. By whom we have received grace. A lot of people translate that the, that the unmerited favor of God favor of God the greatness of his favor it's God's enabling power to bring to us what we don't deserve not just unmerited favor it's enabling power of God to bring to us what we don't deserve it's his favor with me the greatness of his favor you ever get the favor of God you might not have the favor of men, but you ever get the favor of God, that's all you need. You might be hated by men, you might be hated by all, but if you ever get God's favor, that is all you need. 
That's what you're after. You are not after so much the favor of men as you are after the favor of God. And you need to be willing to die in order to stay in favor with God and not live. You need to be willing to be rejected of men to have the favor of God. You with me? Because the favor, if you ever get the favor of God on you, hmm. He says this, by whom we have received grace, the favor of God, and apostleship for what? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. I have been called to call the nations. The nations to what? Obedience to the faith. To believe and to trust and to obey it. Because when you walk in true righteousness and justification, you will walk in obedience. So God is literally, and really, we go back to Genesis 49 and 10. Write that down and read it sometime. It literally has to do with the gathering of the peoples to Shiloh. The gathering of the obedient to Shiloh. Jesus. So Paul says, I'm going out and I'm preaching to the nations to gather them to shallow to gather them to Jesus to gather them in obedience to the new master in a brand new age Genesis 49:10 say obedience to the faith among all nations for his name so he's bearing the name. We love the name. We baptize in the name. We pray in the name. Cast out devils in the name. We are. I am looking at the people of the name. We're not just some church group. What makes us different and distinct is that we bear the name. We are called by the name. There are others who have the Holy Ghost speak in tongues. But we are unique because we are called by the name. We bear the name. We preach the name. We believe in the name. We believe that salvation is the name. Healing is in the name. The blood's in the name. Come on. And we're called to love all people. Don't you ever forget that. We're called to love all people. Of all types of denominational persuasions. We are called to love them. They may have this, you know, the Holy Ghost, not the name. But we are unique and distinct in the fact that we have the name. And we believe in the oneness of God. And we preach the name. We preach the gospel. God coming in the flesh. We preach holiness. We preach, come on, the resurrection. We preach the name. We believe in the justification by faith. We believe in these key teachings of the gospel. I mean, he just laid one thing out, one aspect of the gospel out after another here. Talks about him coming in the flesh, God coming in the flesh. Talks about seed of David, son of God with power, his deity. He talks about holiness. He talks about the spirit. He talks about the resurrection from the dead. He talks about grace. He talks about obedience. He talks about faith. He talks about the name. And all that's the gospel. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. 
Every bit of that's the gospel. Talks about the prophets, all the gospel. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? You're called too. Paul said, I'm not the only one called. You're called. Will you respond to the gospel? The call to Jesus Christ. You're the call of Jesus Christ, the humble one exalted. Right? To all that be in Rome, to all that be in Rome, whether you be a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, they're all one in Christ. Two sticks have been joined in one in Jesus, a corporate man. Right? To all that be in Rome. I'm calling everybody there to the obedience of the faith. I'm calling all the Gentiles everywhere to the feet of Shiloh. Calling everybody to the obedience of the faith. Among all nations for his name, right? That's what he's doing. To To all that be in Rome, beloved of God called saints I'm not going to be a saint <laughs> look, look at your neighbor and I know it's hard for you to believe husband when you look at that woman it's going to be hard for you to believe this but look at her and say you're a saint husbands look at your wife and tell him you are a saint it's hard for you to say that and it's definitely hard for her to believe that but she's not going to be a saint she is a saint Right now. (laughs) Now, wives, if your husband's here, look at your husband and say, you're a saint, man. Now, wake them up when they pass out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Look at them. Some of you didn't look at them. You didn't do what I tell you. Obedience to the faith. (laughs) Look at your husband. And I know you had a fight with him before you came to church. But look at him and tell him, you are a saint. Everybody. Michelle. Look at him. Tell him he's a saint. Yeah. Now, goes both ways. Brother Timothy, now look at her. Tell him, you're a saint. Yeah, man. Brother Greg, look at your wife. Tell her she's a saint. Sister Martha, look at your husband. Tell him he is a saint. You are a saint. So I'm trying to help you out when you have this knockdown drag out. Instead of calling him every name in the book, look at him and say, you're a saint. I declare to you, you are a saint. And then prophesy, be ye what you are. That's that old stuff coming out, you know, of you. Call saints. I'm a saint right now. Not to be saints. I'm a saint right now. As soon as I got born again, I'm a saint. I'm set apart. I'm sanctified by God. The moment I got justified. And then from there, I go on in the process of letting him work out in me what he's done for me. And I willingly yield myself to that new master. In conclusion, 
I'm almost finished with this introduction. <laughs> to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace. Favor. He said, let the favor of God rest on you. Let God's favor rest on you. Let His grace rest on you. And peace. The results of that favor is peace. You walk in God's favor. The results of that favor is the peace of God. It's all located in Jesus. Shalom. Peace. It doesn't just mean tranquility of mind. It means abundance. It means blessing. An abundant life. It means to walk in the Spirit. Truth in your understanding. Walk in the Spirit. Free from guilt. Because Jesus took it on the cross. Walk in the Spirit. In holiness. As the King rules your will. The Christ of God. Prophet, priest and King. He came to give you fullness of life. He came to give you abundance. He came to bless you. Your mind. He came to bless your emotions. He came to bless you in every way. Mind, will and emotions. Your whole being. He says grace or favor and peace. He's talking about your whole life. Your family, your home, everything. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, call saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, well, what is he saying there? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ two different people? No. Well, look, it says God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ means they have to be two. No. The Greek word is what? Kai, which can be translated and or even. So God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Or and the Lord Jesus Christ is not a and is not a separating word. And is a joining word. So when you say God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, if you try to make that say there's two persons, you don't know him. You have you're so messed up. You're so confused. You don't even know the English language. You're worse than a Hispanic. If you interpret that passage like that. Hallelujah. If you interpret the passage that way, that there's two separate persons, you're not even worth being a Hispanic. You, you should just, you need to go and change your identity. Say, I'm not even worthy to be a Hispanic. <laughs> you're so, what you're doing is you're taking the word of God, some preconceived idea about the nature of Jesus and, and trying to divide him you can't divide him God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ or even the Lord Jesus Christ he is God the Father 
in, the, in his spirit, he's the father. In his humanity, he's the son. Okay, for all you scholars out there, let me give you a little rule. Write this rule down. Granville Sharp's rule. Granville Sharp's rule on the Greek language says this. That if the first noun is preceded by the article, and the article, definite article is the, T-H-E. Is if it's preceded by the definite article, the noun is preceded by the definite article. Okay? And the nouns that follow it, if they are the same class, come on, gender, etc. And they do not have the article in front of them then they are referring to the same thing. Amen. They are referring to the same thing, not to something different. Do you understand? Amen. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at the passage. If it can straighten you out on your theology. I thank my God. Let's see. No. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, nouns. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ says the article is in, in first noun. But we have the nouns here, but there's only one definite article is the point. One definite article, the. God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So all these nouns, God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, refer to the same person. According to that rule. Now if you want it just exactly verbatim. I've got it written down in there. But that's pretty much it. They're not different. It doesn't say. The God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. With two articles. Only got one the in there. So they're all referring to the same. So he is. God the Father. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. And in closing, let me go to, you with, to the book of Jeremiah. Give me this Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah chapter 23. Are y'all getting tired? Boy, I have been long-winded. You put me in a teaching mode. And when I get in a teaching mode, I get real long-winded. Chapter 23, verse 1. Woe, unto, woe be unto the pastors or the shepherds. Watch, shepherds, that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord, all capitalized. Right? So you know who we're talking about here, don't you, God? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, God. Of Israel, in case you don't know who the Lord is. <laughs> the Lord is God. When you say God the Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord defines Him as God. Jesus Christ, humble one, exalted. Jesus Christ, our Lord, God. Lord Jesus Christ, God, the humble one who became exalted. You with me? 
Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith who? The Lord. In this context, he's talking about the kings of Israel who are the shepherds over God's people. Every king before Zedekiah, who is the king that was taken into captivity, every king before him should have led the people into what? Righteousness. Righteousness. But these kings before Zedekiah, and even in Zedekiah's day, did not lead the people into what? Righteousness. So they're destroying the people of God. I will, verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries. The Lord himself is going to be the shepherd. Out of all countries where I have driven them. I will bring them again to their foes. They shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith who? The Lord. So God's going to set them over them, His people. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. He is the righteous one. The Messiah is the Lord. And the Lord is the righteous one. The Messiah is the Lord. Messiah is God. And he is the righteous one. That's why God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Behold the days come, saith the Lord, I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king. So the Lord is the righteous branch and the Lord is the king. He shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. That's why Paul said, he's son of David according to the flesh. In the context of teaching righteousness. And he is God. All right with me? God our Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Watch this. God the Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch. In, these, in his days, Judas shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord, all capitalized, our righteousness. So the shepherd is the Lord God. He is the righteous one. And the shepherd, come on. He is the true king. He is the true righteous one that will gather his flock and save them. He is God come in the flesh. The Lord our righteousness. What's his name? Jesus. So that what he's saying here is what is true of him will become true of a people. He will be called the righteous branch. And they will be called the Lord, our righteousness. This people have become what He is. By justification through faith. 
Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, brought up, which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. And from all countries will I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. The just shall live by faith. I'm going to deliver them through the teacher of righteousness. And their faith in the Lord, our righteousness, is going to be their deliverance. So that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is God. Let's go back to Romans and this is it. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, called saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That is Paul's introduction to the Romans. It is the gospel. And it covers every aspect of the gospel. Right there. It is awesome. I love, I love his word. Do you understand your standing? Do you understand that you're righteous right now? If you have been water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and had those sins washed away, you are in right standing with God right now. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how you failed. You are in a right relationship with God right now. And sanctification is the process that produces that righteousness in your life. There's nothing like knowing the truth. It will set you free. Next week we'll get into the letter itself. What Paul wrote to the Romans. That was the introduction. We're going to just dissect it and dissect it and dissect it and dissect it and dissect it.